We're going to finish up John chapter 6. This will be week number 4. And uh, so, John 6, 56 through 69. You'll find the words on the screen or on your screen. Or if you've got them with you, uh, you can follow along that way too. But before we read and hear from the Word of God, let's pray together. God, once again, we, we just want to say thank you uh, for meeting us here in this place. We've Really, we've come in here into this room with, with, from all sorts of different places. Uh, some of us come uh, from a, a place of great joy. Some of us come in this place with a, a sense of sadness or, or a, a, a sense of deep frustration in our hearts. Some of us uh, just come because that's what we do on Sundays, and um, our lives are sort of the same. Just We're just rolling along. It's become a little bit uh, monotonous, and so we ask that wherever, wherever it is we are, however it is we've come together in this place, we ask that you would meet us where we are. We trust that you will meet us where we are, and we pray that you would, in some ways, startle us, uh, surprise us with something new. Come, Holy Spirit, and open our hearts and our minds and help us to, to hear your voice, again, so that we might be changed and made new, more like Jesus. Amen. John 6 starting at verse 56. Jesus says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but the one who feeds on this bread, I will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. On hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, does this offend you? What if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? The Spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit, and they are life. Yet there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. So he went on and said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They abandoned Jesus. You don't want to leave me too, do you? Jesus said to the twelve. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. 
must have been hard for him to say that, right? With all those other people being like, no, we can't do this. This is too hard. And they, all those other people just sort of turn their back and abandon him. And, that, and then Peter, you can almost hear the hesitation in his voice. He's like, where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. Must have been difficult. We'll go that far. So one of the things that I, I think that we all have in common as human beings is that at some point in our lives, really many points in our lives, um, we have to eventually make a decision. Like we have a choice to make. It's decision time we say to ourselves, right? It's decision time. I have to make a decision. A lot of people have said that our lives are just the sum total of the choices that we've made. You've probably heard that before, and there seems to be some truth to that, right? You come to one of those points, you have a choice to make, you make one decision, and your life goes in one direction. Or if you make another decision, your life goes in a completely different direction, and sometimes after we've made a decision and we've gone down that road for a while, we think back to when we had to make that decision. We think to ourselves, oh man, what if we had just made this other decision? Or what if I had just decided to do this? My life would be totally and completely different. We are the sum total of the choices that we make. Like for instance, you get offered a new job, right? You know that it's going to be longer hours. You're going to get paid a lot less, but, but over the long haul, you you know you might actually be happier because it's, it's this thing you've always wanted to do and now you've got the opportunity to do it, but it's a hard choice because you're going to have to work harder and get paid less, but you might be happier and you have to make a decision because they're not going to leave that job open forever, right? They're going to offer it to somebody. Are you going to take it or not? It's decision time. Or say you're a, you're a high schooler and you're nearing graduation. What are you going to do? Are you going to get a job and you're going to enter the workforce? Are you going to go to trade school? Or are you going to go to college? Like event, there's so many choices laid before you. What are you going to do? Eventually, it becomes time where, well, you just have to choose. It's decision time. Or like this, this time when I was in college and I worked at a summer day camp for middle school kids and at this day camp, there was this girl who worked there, and she was amazing. Like, she was, she was smart. She was funny, like rip-roaring funny, like made me laugh harder than anybody in my whole life has, has made me laugh. And she was beautiful, and I had a crush on her, and I really wanted to ask her out, but I was nervous. Oh, I didn't know what to do. Well, eventually... I had to make a choice. Am I going to ask her out or not? I did. She said yes. And now we've been married for 21 years, and we have three really cool boys, right? But there comes a time in life where eventually we have to make a choice. It's decision time, we say. Like, there's no staying in one spot anymore. It's time to move. It's time to take action. Are you going to do it or not? you got to choose, and the time is now. The reason I bring all of this up is because for the people in the story following Jesus around, right now, in this moment in the story, 
it's decision time. They've been dogging Jesus for like the better part of a day and a half. They've been saying to Jesus, give us more of this miracle bread. We want more of this miracle bread. You see, they were there when Jesus, he did this miraculously crazy thing. He took this measly little boy's sack lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish, and he multiplied it beyond anyone's imagination, and he fed like 10, 12, 15,000 people with it. And it was like, oh my goodness, we want more of that. Everyone was full. Everyone was satisfied. He multiplied it to overflowing. They even had leftovers. It reminded the people of their ancestors. See, these are Jewish people, and it reminded them of their ancestors when they had fled slavery in Egypt, and God led them out, and now they were wandering in in the wilderness, not knowing where in the world they were supposed to go or how in the world they were supposed to sustain their own lives, and God did this thing where God made manna, this bread from heaven, fall from the sky, and they wanted more of that. They wanted more of that miracle bread. Give us more of that, Jesus. But Jesus wouldn't do it because Jesus refused to be used. Mm -mm, Not going to do it. Instead, Jesus starts talking all this crazy talk, like really weird stuff, stuff that makes you go, what? He says this, I'm the bread of life. Anyone who eats of me will never go hungry. He gets busy talking about all this crazy talk, and he shatters their preconceptions about all the ways they think things ought to go, challenges their traditions as religious people, as he begins to to try to sort of wake them up to the reality of the presence of God literally standing right in front of them, and most of them couldn't figure it out, looking at them eyeball to eyeball, standing right there among them, a reality much different than any of them had ever imagined before. This is like mind-blowing stuff, shattering all their preconceptions. It's like, this is different. We didn't think things were going to go this way. Nobody saw this coming. So he starts talking all this crazy talk. He says, for my flesh is real food, and my blood, it's real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me, and I in them. And the Jewish followers are offended. They're beyond offended. Jesus is like, what, are you offended by this talk? Right? And they say, yeah, this is a hard teaching. Like, who can accept this? You see, in other words, you're crazy, Jesus. You're kind of nuts here. See, to their Jewish ears, this language was absolutely shocking, earth-shattering, because you don't consume blood. Not under any circumstances do you consume blood. We have to remain kosher, Jesus. In fact, we have all of these strict laws to make sure that animals are slaughtered in such a way so that all the blood flows away from any of the meat that we might consume. Like, all the blood is gone. To drink blood would make us unclean. To drink blood would separate us from the divine, from God. But Jesus shocks them and turns this idea upside down. He says, eat my flesh, drink my blood, consume me. Get that close 
to me, and you'll have union with the divine like you've never experienced before. Get that close to me, he says. So Jesus shocks the crowd. What is he doing here? Why does he do it like this? It's like, aren't there better ways you could do this, Jesus? Like you can talk ways that aren't so shocking. But I think he's doing it for a reason. He's shocking these people. He's challenging their preconceptions. He's challenging their very tradition as religious people in order to to challenge them to make a decision, to make a choice. It's decision time. Were they going to follow after Jesus because they wanted to use him to get more of what they wanted, more of this miracle bread? Just make us happy, Jesus. Fill us. Satisfy us, Jesus. Like like Jesus is their, their little puppet God that they could get to do for them whatever they wanted to do, whatever they wanted him to do. Or would they consume this strange bread, this Jesus, knowing full well that this bread isn't like any other ordinary bread, would they consume this bread, this Jesus, knowing that he would eventually work inside of them and begin to consume them and begin to transform them? You know, Jesus doesn't seem very concerned about keeping people fed and happy. He doesn't seem concerned with that. He doesn't seem to be as concerned with keeping people fed and happy as he is with keeping people fed and challenged. Let me say that again. Jesus doesn't seem to be as concerned with keeping people fed and happy and comfortable and fulfilled and full and satisfied the way we think we want to be satisfied. And he's more concerned about people keep, keeping people fed and challenged. And some of the people couldn't do it, right? That's how the story goes. They're like, this is too hard, Jesus. We like our lives just the way they are. Like, we're happy, we're comfortable, we're fine. Thank you very much. And many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. They left. It was decision time. And they made their choice. Nah, man, that's too hard. We're out of here. But what about you? What about me? What about us? As a people? Like Now it's decision time for us. And I would argue that every time we lift our head up off the pillow and put our feet on the ground every single morning... It's decision time yet again. We've heard all about this bread of life, but do we really want it? Do we really want this bread? This bread that will begin to consume us. This bread that will begin to change us. This bread that will begin to to transform us. Because this bread messes with our insides. We know this bread. We've been talking about this bread for like three weeks now, and now this is week number four we've been talking about this bread. Some of us have been talking about this bread for, for most of our lives, but do we really want this bread? Because here's the deal. This bread won't make you thin. 
not going to do that for you. This bread isn't going to make you pretty. It's not going to make you handsome. This bread isn't going to make your life easy. This bread isn't necessarily going to make people like you and bring you the kind of popularity that you desire and yearn for and long for. In fact, this bread might actually make people hate you. It might make people turn their backs on you. It might make people abandon you. This bread won't make you money. In fact, this bread might just cost you everything you have just to eat of it. See, this bread doesn't give us all the kinds of stuff that we tend to to spend most of our lives striving after. Because this bread... This bread doesn't give us all that on the surface what everybody else can see stuff that we all want so badly. But this strange bread, this Jesus, isn't interested in any of that all on the surface stuff, what everybody else can see stuff. This bread goes deeper than that. Like this bread messes with our insides. It messes with the deepest parts of ourselves, our in most places. This bread messes with the place where spirit and life reside. You heard the words that Jesus said. The spirit gives life. The flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. You see, this bread messes with our hearts. This bread messes with the stuff that makes you who you really are, makes me who I really am, makes us who we really are, messes with your heart. If you eat of this bread, our desires change. When we eat of this bread, our priorities change. When we eat of this bread, our desires change. When we eat of this bread, our values change, our affections change, our relationships change, the way we do business changes, everything changes. If we eat of this bread, we might just get what we might think of as spiritual diarrhea. Have you ever heard that term before? Now you have. All that nasty stuff that you got locked up inside of you that you know is there but you don't want to deal with, it might just begin coming out of you uncontrollably and now we have to deal with it. And it might be painful, it might be scary, and it might be a whole lot uncomfortable. I don't know if I want this bread. I don't know if I want to get that close to Jesus. I don't know if I want this bread. Do you? This is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? So there's this guy, young follower of Jesus, a successful banker who had grown up in a wealthy family, He stands on top of a hill in northern Italy, waiting to strike an investment deal between, uh, with Napoleon, between the Swiss and the French, right? But here's what happens. The deal never takes place, right? Instead, the man watches what one writer calls one of the bloodiest battles of the 19th century between Napoleon's army and the Austrians, right? After the bloodbath, the young man makes his way down to the battlefield to survey the damage, the carnage. He would later describe the scene like this, 
chaotic disorder, despair unspeakable, and misery of every kind. He was changed that day from one man into a completely other man. Or maybe what was inside of him changed him from one man into a completely other man. He stays for days in that little town, and he heals the wounds of mutilated soldiers, trying his best to give them the dignity that every human being deserves. And it's the beginning of the rest of his life. Jean Henry Dunant lost everything that day, gave it up, really, left it all behind, his wealth, his banking career, everything. But we know of him today because he was the first recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize. We know Henry Dunant, this little follower of Jesus, because of the work he did and the sacrifices he made. We know Henry Dunant because of the worldwide movement he created called the Red Cross. He fought hard for it, gave up his life for it, gave up everything for it in order to make it a reality. And what did he get for it? Sure, he got a couple of awards, but he also wound up spending the last 20 years of his life in almost complete obscurity. No one knew where he was, and no one cared. And eventually, eventually, like all of us, Henry Dunant died. There were no mourners, there was no funeral, and he was carried to his grave, according to his wishes, like a dog. Now there's a guy who must have eaten a whole lot of this strange bread we call Jesus. And that bread nourished him right into giving up everything, right into giving up his entire life just for the benefit of the world. You know, there have been plenty others like him, right? Martin Luther King Jr., Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Mother Teresa, Harriet Beecher Stowe. We could be here for days and days and days and days listing all of these people who just gave it all up. These people consumed so much of this bread of life. They followed Jesus so closely that eventually it became almost impossible to distinguish their lives from the life of Jesus. They had been crucified with Christ, and it was, they who no, it was no longer they who lived, but Christ who lived in them. You mean we have to give up everything? Do we really want this bread? Do we really want this bread? After most of the crowd had left, in complete disgust, Jesus turns to his 12, the original 12, and you can almost hear it in his voice. He's like, it's over. It's done. Everybody's leaving. You don't want to leave me too, do you? In other words, it's decision time. And then Peter has one of his better moments. He answers for them all. He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We believe and know that you are the Holy One of God. You see, I think Peter finally starts to understand what Jesus has been up to and what Jesus has been up to ever since. He's trying to create a community full of people, a movement full of people who are radically committed to seeing the presence of God right in front of them all the time. He's, he's trying to create a community full of people who are willing to give up their very lives for the very same things that Jesus gave his life up for. Things like justice and mercy and grace and healing and forgiveness and reconciling people back to God. And Peter understands that the only one who can create that kind of community is this strange bread of life. The only one who can make that happen is this this Jesus, the Holy One of God. So Peter answers for the little community, answers for them all, speaks for them all. He's like, where else will we go? We believe that you have the words of eternal life, and, and we know that you are the Holy One of God. We won't leave you. We're in. You know, I don't think it's any accident that Jesus used this language of food to describe an intimate relationship with him and really an intimate relationship with each other too is the community of Jesus people. What better place is there to bring people together than a table full of food? You walk into a house, you've been invited in and there's this table and it's full of food and you're like, what better place is there to bring people together than a well-set table? Jesus knows this. The well-set table is where relationships are built. You know, when we live, there's something instinctual in us. We know this. We feel it. When we lived in Michigan, and I would talk to my parents on the phone because they lived in Iowa, and we were preparing for them to come and we were talking on the phone. You know what we always talked about the most in preparation for their coming? What are we going to eat? Where are we going to eat? Because there's something inside of us that knows that the table, oh my goodness, that is the place where relationships are built. Why do we all look forward to Thanksgiving so much? It's not that long. It's, not, it's coming. Why do we look forward to Thanksgiving so much? right? The food is kind of okay. I can think of a lot better meals than turkey and stuffing and mashed potatoes. And now that I'm talking about it, I'm like, that sounds really good right now. <laughs> but it's not that great of a meal. You know what makes it awesome? I'm convinced that it's the people around the table and the experience of shared meal and community and relationship building. That's the secret sauce. That's the stuff that makes that meal Oh, so delicious. See, the bread of life, the bread of life creates community. 
and he's still at it. I mean, here we are. I mean, we're gathered around another table. It's always up here every week. And Jesus, Jesus is the bread. He wants us to eat. He wants us to be fulfilled, not just so that we can be satisfied and feel good about ourselves, but so that we can actually be transformed, changed, made new, so that we will walk out those doors right there and give our very lives for the very same things that Jesus gave up his life for. Things like justice and mercy and grace and forgiveness and healing and reconciling people to God. It's decision time. Do we really want this bread? Do we really want to give up everything and risk it all? I think we do. I hope we do. But here's the good news. Jesus said he'll be with us, in us, working through us. Here's the other good news. We don't have to do it alone. We've got each other. We've got people. And together, we can be the presence of Jesus in a world that so desperately needs Jesus. Let's pray.